Hello and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. I've thoroughly enjoyed these past few weeks our series on the enemy. Today that series is coming to an end. And just as our series is coming to an end, our enemy must also come to an end. We talk about our enemy's end in today's message. The title of the message is The Enemy and His Future. Please enjoy. Alright, if you have your places in Revelation chapter 6, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to please stand to your feet out of respect and reverence to the Word of God. The two verses we're going to read this morning is verse number 9 and verse number 10. The Bible says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? The title of the message this morning is The Enemy and his future. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for bringing us into your house. and Lord, thank you for this series that we've been in. And as we close out this series this morning, I pray that you bless the Word of God, bless the preaching of the Word of God, and I pray that you'd give us something today that will make us better Christians. Thank you once again for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes you can hear a sound, somebody can bring up an, uh, something that happened in your life, or you can see something, or you can have a smell, and it'll bring your memory back. It'll bring you right back to a time and a place where you were, and you can remember vividly where you were when your mind takes you back to this memory. I hate to start out the morning service on a downer, but 18 years ago, the enemy had a great victory here in our country. Uh, Satan led several men to hijack commercial airlines, and they flew those planes that they hijacked into a Pennsylvania field, into the Pentagon, and into Twin Towers. And it was, it's, it's so hard to think that Every person, think about this, every person that's 17 years old and under wasn't even alive when this happened. And those who are a little bit older than that don't even remember it. But for those of us that lived through it, it's burned in our brain. I can ask you to think about where you were when you heard about 9-11. You can instantly go back to the room you were in. You know who was in the room. You know who was, who was there. You remember what was playing on the TV? You remember what was playing on the radio? Dare I say, you may even remember what the room smelled like. For me, it was a college dorm room. It's not a pleasant memory. But, uh, you know, you, if you, can, you can go back and you can think where you were and you can remember everything about when someone told you about 9-11. You can picture, you can close your eyes and picture it like you were looking at a picture. And the reason for that is just because it was a unique situation. It was, the mo it was the most horrible, horrific thing that had taken place in American soul ever. 
And it was so unique and it was so horrible that, of course, it's going to stand out in our minds. And for the rest of our lives, that image and that place will be burned into our minds as long as we're here on this earth. We can't get rid of that image. But you know what? I'm here to tell you this morning that as horrific as that was and as horrible as that was, when it comes to the to the seven year tribulation in the Bible, the Twin Towers will seem like a slow news day. Because let me tell you something, the seven year tribulation in the book of Revelation is going to be far, far worse I'm here to tell you that the news broadcasts are, they'll be full of wars and they'll be full of rumors of wars and they'll be full of havoc and they'll be full of chaos and death and famine and destructive creatures and diseases and ravaging wild animals. It will be, let me, as, as much as the news media likes to, likes to report on bad news, they're going to have a field day during the tribulation. And you see, and all these events are divided up and triggered here in chapter number 6. As we see here in chapter number 6 that the seals are being broken. And one by one the seals of God are bring, being broken. And as these seals are broken, the wrath of God is poured out on a wicked, wicked world. Each seventh judgment is seven times worse than the previous six. The seventh seal are the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet is the seven vials. And each of these 21 judgments show God's wrath and God's anger and God's indignation on a wicked, deserving world this morning. I'm here to tell you it's going to be a horrible, horrible place. We always say all men are created equal, whether we, we say it, whether we believe it or not. But I'm here to tell you that during that time on this earth, all men will be equal. It doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete. It doesn't matter if you're a homeless person on skid row. Every single person alive during that time will get an equal dose of the judgment of God. No one will be spared Man, this, is, this sounds like a horrible, horrible thing. The Bible says in Revelation 6, 16, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Man, this all sounds pretty bad. This sounds like a horrible, horrible thing to go through. And you'd think that anybody that survived this would be more than willing to fall on their face and beg for God's forgiveness and beg God for mercy. Anybody that lived through this, surely they would fall down and beg for the mercy of God. But not mankind. Mankind is not going to beg for the mercy of God. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation 9, 20, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Even living through this torment, men would rather choose suffering than choose Christ. That is unreal. I'm here to tell you this morning that the end of our enemy is drawing near. 
Each day the end of our enemy's time is numbered and each day his end draws nearer and nearer. But I am also here to tell you this morning, our enemy will not go down without a fight and our enemy will not go quietly. I have three perspectives I'd like to look through this morning. Three, perspective, I'd, three perspectives I'd like to look at the book of Revelation through this morning. The first perspective is this. Number one, we have the cry of the righteous. The cry of the righteous. If someone has been given the gospel, and if someone has had an opportunity to be saved, and they reject that, when the rapture happens and Jesus comes in the clouds and call, calls his saints home and the seven-year tribulation begins, that person cannot get saved. If you've been given the opportunity to be saved and you've rejected it and you've passed on it and the rapture happens, you cannot get saved. The Bible says you will believe a lie. But the thing is, is you know, there will be people saved during the tribulation period. There will be people who have never heard the gospel. They've never heard of Jesus. And when the tribulation uh, uh, begins, those people will have an opportunity to be saved. And there will be many, many people saved during the tribulation period on earth. Unfortunately for them. Unfortunately, those tribulation saints, they will be the focus of the wrath of the devil. You see, last week we talked about the devil being kicked out of heaven. The devil is extremely mad and the devil is extremely furious that he's been kicked out of heaven. And he will focus all of his wrath and he will focus all the forces of his evil and he will focus all his anger and indignation onto those tribulation saints. These saints will be blamed for what's going on in the earth and they will be persecuted beyond belief revelation chapter 6 and verse number 9 and 10 let me read it for you one more time and when he had opened the fifth seal i saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of god and for the testimony which they held and they cried cried with a loud voice saying how long O lord holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth these tribulation saints are asking a valid question. They're looking up to heaven and they're saying, Oh Lord, how long? How long are you going to allow this to go on? How long are we going to have to endure this, Lord? How long, oh Lord, how long? But this isn't a question just that the tribulation saints are asking. This is a question that Christians have been asking since the beginning of time. This is a question that's been asked throughout the corridors of history. This is a question that saints in the Word of God and the pages of the Word of God have been asking for thousands and thousands of years. We've asked this question, how long do we have to endure this God? How long do we have to endure persecution from Satan? How long do we have to endure the results of wickedness? How long, O oh Lord? How long can you hear this morning as we take a look at Job? Patient Job as he weeps 
and he mourns for his loved ones. Sheep can be replaced. Cattle can be replaced. Houses can be replaced. Lands can be replaced. But your children? Those can't be replaced. And here we have Job mourning over the loss of his loved ones. And then we have his wife. His wife who has turned bitter and angry and turned against God. Job's own flesh began to rot. His friends came up to him with friendly advice that was not all that friendly. And when Job gets to the end of his road, and when Job gets to the end of his rope, all he can do is Job can look up to heaven and cry out to God in Job 19.2. How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? How long, O Lord? How long? King David faces the hot displeasure of the chastening of God. King David, his, his family is falling apart. His kingdom is crumbling around him and his health is decaying. David lives his life in a constant state of grief and pain. His children are killing each other. His friends are stabbing him in his back. His kingdom is falling down around him. What, all, what can David do? What, what course of action can David take? All he can do is look up to heaven. And in Psalm 6.3 he says, My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? How long, O Lord, how long? Next we see the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah is waiting on his marching orders from heaven. He's waiting on the message that God would have him give. And he's wondering what type of message the Lord will have him deliver. Isaiah sees a, a vision from God that brings him to his knees. God then asks Isaiah a question of the ages. And after God asks Isaiah this question, Isaiah gives him a humble response. I want you to hear in the verse I read, I want you to hear the question that God asked him. And I want you to hear his response. Isaiah 6, 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Who will go? Here am I, send me. Now that's a, that sermon will preach right there. My preacher used to say that dog will hunt. That's a good verse right there. Who will go? Here am I, Lord, send me. So we see that Isaiah is ready and willing to go. He can't wait for the message of God so he can get out and he can serve God. Maybe Isaiah is thinking that, that God's going to have him preach like the prophet Elijah. Maybe, maybe he thinks that, that, that God is going to have him part the Red Sea like Moses. Maybe he thinks that, that he's going to have him sing like King David. But God had something else in mind for Isaiah. God said, Isaiah, you're going to preach to people who will hear and not understand. Isaiah, they, they will see with their eyes but they won't get it. 
You know what Isaiah's job was? The Bible says his job was to make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes. Man, preachers, you'd think a preacher's job would be to open someone's eyes, but Isaiah's job was to shut their eyes. That's not exactly the message a preacher thinks he's going to hear in his ordination service day. That's not, that's not the normal ordination service message that's preached. Then this confused preacher, he looks up to heaven and he cries out to God in Isaiah 6.11. Then said I, Lord, how long? And Isaiah got an answer. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. How long, O oh Lord, how long do we have to endure? Watch the tears of the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet Jeremiah, as the tears run down his face. I, Jeremiah's family and friends have long since abandoned him. The local ministers around him hate Jeremiah's guts. And yea, even the king despises Jeremiah. His nation of Israel, he's watched as they've rejected the word of God. He's watched as they rejected the standards of God. He's watched as they've rejected the very love of God. But Jeremiah still loves his country. Jeremiah still loves the holy city of Jerusalem. But you see, God allowed Jeremiah to see the impending doom. He allowed Jeremiah to see the fall of the city that he loved, the holy city of Jerusalem. And all Jeremiah could do was look up to heaven and cry out. In Jeremiah 12, 4, How long shall the land mourn? How long, O Lord? How long? Habakkuk watched as the streets around him were filled with violence. Habakkuk watched as the streets around him were filled with fighting. Habakkuk watched as the streets around him were filled with robbery and murder. Things were backwards. The courts in Habakkuk's day uh, were, were protecting the criminals and prosecuting the righteous. Everything was backwards. And people looked at Habakkuk to step in and they looked at God's man to intervene and Habakkuk's like, what can I do? And Habakkuk looked up to God in, in chapter 1 verse 2 and he said, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. How long, O Lord, how long? It's a question that's been asked throughout the Bible. But this is not just a question that people in the Bible can ask. This is a question me and you can ask today. Lord, how long will wicked governments kill and torture people? Lord, how long will evil religions mock our God? Lord, how long will our children be abused and murdered? Not only murdered outside the womb, but how long will our children be murdered inside the womb? How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long will death and disease ravage our people? 
How long, O oh Lord, will the jails be full? How long will the hospitals be full? How long will the cemeteries be full? How long, O oh Lord, how long? And we want to cry out like King David did in Psalms 119, 126, where he says, it is time for thee to work. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long was, must we endure this? But I'm here to tell you today there's an answer to that question. There's an answer to the question, how long? And God gives us an answer, and here's the answer to that question. We ask, that, we ask how long, Lord? And God's answer is until Revelation 19. That's it. It's just going to last to Revelation 19. And then once Revelation 19 happens, all of that stuff will be done, gone away with. All of that stuff will be done for. It will last until Revelation 19. Number two this morning, I have the cry of the reprobate. The cry of the reprobate. So far in the seven-year tribulation, the earth has been consumed with fire with flood, with earthquakes, with meteors. It has been consumed with blood and carnage and chaos. It has been a horrible, horrible seven years. But you know, all that's out of the way now. The seven years is up. The preliminaries are done. The stage is set and the time has come. What's the time come for? For Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Listen to me as I read it to you. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as, as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress with the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. It will last until Jesus comes on that white horse. He is coming on that white horse one day and then all this nonsense will come to an end. The second coming of Jesus Christ. But let me ask you, can you receive the response of the human? Can you see the response of those that rejected him can you see the response of those that despised him can you see the response of those that mocked him when they see him coming on that white horse can you see the expression on their face first there stands the religious man <clears throat> this religious man he only knows the religious Christ When he pictures Christ, he pictures a tall, soft-spoken, kindly man with long, flowing hair. He has pictures in his house of Jesus holding little lambs. He has pictures in his house of Jesus patiently knocking at a door. He has pictures in his house of Jesus 
bowing reverently in prayer. But you know, his Sunday school never taught him about the Christ of wrath. His favorite TV preacher never preached on the consequences of sin. Too late he realizes that the Christ of religion and the Christ of the Bible are two different people. Too late he realizes this. And the Christ that he thought was mild and reserved has a voice as the sound of many waters. This isn't the weak and timid Christ of his footprints picture. This Christ radiates with holiness as the sun shineth in its strength. Next, can you see the intelligent man standing there? The intelligent man, he laughs at creationism. He scoffs at Noah and his ark. He lives his life to contradict the Bible. He denies the miracles of the Bible. He denies the Christ of the Bible. He denies the salvation of the Bible. He is an enemy of God's written word. But now the heavens are opened. And the Christ that he thought is dead is standing alive before him. And the book that he thought was symbolic is unfolding literally before his very eyes. Can you see the blaspheming man? He stands there and he only knows the name of Christ as a curse word. He never found out, took the time to read in his Bible where his name is above every name. He doesn't care and is not impressed. And in Ephesians 1.21 tells us that his name is above every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Now the one he mocked, now the one he cursed, now the one he profaned is coming in righteousness to judge and make war. This man that took the Lord's name in vain, he cannot escape the fact that out of Jesus' mouth goeth a sharp sword. And now this intelligent man, he's no longer profaning the name of Christ. No, not anymore. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day those that laughed at him and one day those that mocked him and one day those who denied him and one day those that talked bad about him, one day they're going to see him. They're going to see him coming on that white horse. What a day that will be. He's coming again. Number three this morning, I have the cry of the reviled. I have the cry of the reviled. As the King of kings and Lord of lords descends upon the earth, he's going to take the Antichrist, the beast. He's going to take the false prophet. And he's going to cast them into the lake of fire. But not before the battle of the ages. See, a battle's coming when Jesus comes back. It will be a battle of the ages called the battle of Armageddon. This battle will be over before it begins. Oh, the armies of the Antichrist, they're going to be ready. 
They're going to have all their guns locked and loaded. They're going to have their tanks gassed up. Their nuclear bombs are going to be aimed and prepared. But bless God, I will tell you, they will not have time to fire one single shot. The battle will be over before it begins. Jesus will speak one word and will cut them down. After this, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going to be taken care of. Revelation 19, 20 says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them worshipped his image. Those both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. What a day that will be when the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Their forces will be vanquished forever. Now surely this seven-year tribulation to those tribulation saints, those seven years will feel like 70. But the king has come now. The king will turn their despair into hope. The king will turn their defeat into victory. And the king will turn their death into life. But there's one last thing to do. There's one last person to take care of. And we find that in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it for you. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he lay hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And the set and set a seal upon him, but he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, many Bible experts have tried to surmise who this angel is that chains up the devil. The great commentator Matthew Henry believes it to be Jesus himself. After all, this angel does have power over the devil. He does carry the keys to hell. But it is funny and ironic that this same, this same enemy who has chained up multitudes of people with his devices, now he's going to be the chainee. And the angel will cast the wicked one into the bottomless pit. There he will stay for 1,000 years. The Bible says he will be shut up. They're going to shut up the devil. They're going to banish him. And for 1,000 years, Jesus will rule and reign on this planet. And man, that's going to be a great time. I'm going to read some scriptures for you describing the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. The Bible says in, Matthew, in uh, Micah 4.3, And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isaiah eleven six: The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and a calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Zechariah 14, 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Man, this sounds like a great place. This sounds like an awesome time to be a Christian. But you know, even though all this is going to happen during the thousand years, it seems unreal to think about it. 
It seems unreal to think that even during this time, there are going to be people that are going to resent the Lord and there are going to be going to be people who desire to rebel against the Lord. And because of this, Satan will be loosed after a thousand years. He will be loosed for a short season. He will once again be released. And the Bible says he will gather unto him as many people as there are sands of the seashore. There will be a countless number of people who will get on the devil's side. Then it's the devil's last stand. It's the devil's last chance to fight. Satan gathers his forces. They converge on Jerusalem. And as they converge on Jerusalem, the Bible says fire shall come down from heaven and consume and devour them. Before he knows what hits him, that devil old smutty face himself will be cast in the lake of fire and brimstone and there he will be for all of eternity. He and his buddies will, and the, his buddies, the beast and the false prophet, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What a day that will be. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Satan has an end. And his end is coming up. Now, I have enjoyed this series on the enemy. And this is the close of that series. But if I could just leave you with one thought on this series, it would be this. The night before the crucifixion, no one would blame Jesus for wanting to think of himself. After all, he knows what's going to happen. But Jesus thinking of himself, that, you know, that's not his style. It's not Jesus' style to think of himself. In fact, even on the cross, all he could think about was other people. Man, on the cross, he, he made sure his mother was taken care of. He asked his father to forgive his enemies for they knew not what they, do, what they did. He even had, took the time to save a, a, a destitute criminal beside him on a cross. All Jesus could think of was other people. What an amazing Savior he was. But you know, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus, instead of thinking about himself, you know who he was thinking of? He was thinking of Peter. And he looked at Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, this is a warning that Peter should have listened to. A couple reasons. One, because Jesus said his name twice. In the Bible, when you say someone's name twice, it not only shows deep compassion for them, but it also shows a perilous warning. Also, I want you to see that he didn't call him Peter. He didn't say Peter, Peter. He said Simon, Simon. He used the old name. That's like mom and dad using your middle name to get your attention. And then I knew when I heard Brett Patrick Martin, I was in some trouble. So Peter should have really listened to this warning. Now, we see in Scripture that he did revert for a little while back to his old ways. So he didn't listen right at first. But Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. What he's saying, what he said, was saying to Peter is, Peter, Satan wants you back. 
That word sift, it's the only time you find it in the New Testament. And it shows Satan's perfect, Satan's purpose. Satan wanted Peter back. Christian, Satan hath desired to have you. He wants you back. If you're saved, he can't have your soul. But that doesn't mean he can't take everything else you got. Christian, Satan wants your life. He wants to sift your life to ruin it. Christian, Satan wants to sift your marriage to end it. Christian, Satan wants to sift your church so its doors will be closed. Christian, Satan wants to sift your children so their lives be ruined. Satan wants to sift you. Why? Because Satan wants you back. But you know what Jesus said right after that? You know what Jesus said in the next verse? He said, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith faint not. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, Yeah, Peter, the devil wants you, but I want you too. You see, when a person survives a battle, that person becomes stronger. When you as a Christian survive a spiritual battle, you become a stronger Christian. Oh, I'm not saying there won't be scars and some scars last a lifetime, but you will be a stronger Christian. And when we come to the point in our Christian life where we understand that the victory lies in obedience to Christ, then we can know that victory is assured. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Let me remind all of us today, don't grow weary, don't quit. Don't give up. Satan wants you, but Jesus wants you too. The choice is ours.